0: Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Karfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hi everyone, I am so excited to be joining you today for our latest episode on Breast Cancer Conversations. Welcome back to all of our returning listeners, and if you're new to the podcast, welcome, and we're glad to have you here. I am just so excited. Every week we dive into amazing topics with amazing people about all things breast cancer. Today we are continuing the conversation with Holly, who is going to talk a little bit more about her breast cancer diagnosis and take us on a deep dive and answer all of our burning questions on the hot topic of cold capping. So without further ado, welcome to the conversation. Holly, it's so great to have you back on the podcast. I know last time we chatted, you were telling us about your adventures in Kuala Lumpur and traveling the world, your daughter living in France and having a baby, how you and your husband sold everything to just travel and live this amazing, wonderful life post a breast cancer diagnosis. Today, I would love to continue the conversation and take us back on your experience when you first found out that you were diagnosed with breast cancer. I know that a lot of our listeners, we want to make sure that like we're not feeling alone. It can be so scary and overwhelming. So if you wouldn't mind taking us with you on your journey, I would love to hear how you found your lump. Was it self-detected? Did you go in through a routine mammogram? All that good stuff. So let's get started. Thanks for being here with us today.
1: So I had been getting periodic mammograms since I was in my late 20s because I had um, a cousin who passed away of breast cancer and cancer always kind of was definitely in our family. So I made it a point to always do self exams. And my husband and I actually were on a business trip in Las Vegas and had just gone to a music festival and we were hanging out in the hotel room and I'm like, Oh, I'm just laying here. I'll just do another breast and candy. you know, cause that's what you do Yeah. beginning of the month. And I, it was at the the top of my breast here on the left breast. And I went, well, that's not been there before. And, but it didn't feel like, you know, they talk about a tumor can feel like a P you can feel the defined edges. Um, for me, it was just a hardness. It was just, instead of it being easy to push down, there was a definite um, hardness there, but no defined edges. And I just, I like, I just immediately knew I, I, I froze had my husband feel and began the, the process when we got home of seeing my doctor who I actually saw the physician's assistant first, who said, Oh, it's just your fibroid cyst. You know, I've dense breasts, lots of fibroids. It's just that went to get the mammogram. And it wasn't a diagnostic mammogram it was just a regular mammogram. And the radiologist said, Oh, it's just fibroids went back to the gynecologist and actually saw the gynecologist that time and said, there's something more here. This is not fibroids. And she did the exam and she said, okay, now you need to go do a diagnostic mammogram and an ultrasound. And thankfully, when I went back to the center for the scans, I had an on-call radiologist that day who listened to me and did not dismiss me. And he said, I absolutely feel this. I know exactly what what's happening. And, and I looked at him and I said, I don't want that other guy doing my biopsy. Can you please do my biopsy for me? And he said, absolutely. And sure enough, he did it. And it came back already, you know, stage two and had to then go to the process of finding um, a surgeon, went to one who she was fine. And then I through connections of a school that I used to teach at in Clearwater. Got connected with a surgeon in um Clearwater, Florida. Who he he directed everything I needed to do, and in the process, my fellow homeroom teacher, who was brand new to the school, named Liz, wonderful British woman living in the states, and she she's like, "What's going on with you?" I'm like, eh, "Nothing," you know. I just met her. I don't need to like vomit my things on her, and you know. Finally, she's like what's going on? And I told her and she said, I just finished chemotherapy six months ago, chemo and radiation, same doctor group, same oncologist I was going to. And that's the person who told me about cold capping. She had this beautiful thick blonde hair. And I'm like, how do you have your hair? And she told me about the cold caps and set me up with the company that did it. And in the meantime, my oncologist had said to me, you know, I've heard about cold capping. It's something they've done in Europe for quite a while. It was not something they were doing in the United States. I mean, they didn't even have the Dignity Cap at that time. You had to get either, I think it was Penguin Cold Caps, or the company I used was called Chemo Cold Caps. Okay. And yeah, so, um, so I had the lumpectomy in Thanksgiving. And then they did the mamma print and the ma- which is different than oncotyping. So I don't know yeah. much about oncotyping. So uh, you know, all I knew from that was my risk of recurrence was high and I would need to do four rounds of chemotherapy. Okay.
0: So And what is the mamma print? Because yeah. I know I'm a little bit more familiar with the oncotype score and right. So what is the mamma print? Is that still like blood work or how does that
1: um it's a mamma print is done on the tumor. So once okay. they remove the tumor. I think just like Oncotyping, I mm-hmm. don't, I think they send the tumor slides out and they, you know, decide what the grade is, um, how your margins, they give you your staging, um, you know, I est- was estrogen, progesterone positive, um, and the other part, H-E-R negative. Mm-hmm. The I'm not sure with the print how they determine the rate of recurrence. I do know it's based on testing the tumor. Okay. So, um, so that piece we went off of, and then I started chemotherapy on New Year's Eve.
0: Wow! Oh my gosh. <laughs> Good
1: times. I know. <laughs> like, end of one chapter and
0: jumping right into a new year, and you it, know, I think the yes. lining is like, "Well, we're killing it. We're, you know, attacking yes. the cancer as aggressively as possible." You bring up so many great points just here, if I can interrupt and pause for a moment, because you're talking about the need for advocacy as well, if we go back to these initial screenings. And this was news to me, too, to learn when you're going in for your mammogram that you have just regular mammogram Hmm. imaging versus a diagnostic imaging test where they're doing more, um, I think, two or four different um, angles and x-rays versus just coming in for your regular mammogram. What I'm right. hearing is, you know, I think just the hat that we wear is alarming because if you're going in for your mammogram, and even if you have dense tissue, we understand mm-hmm. that the the imaging is only going to be as good as those images, right? And so correct. if you felt something and you're being reassured that it's just fibroids or and I think people don't want to scare us. I th- I hear that all no. the time, right? Like, oh, it's probably mm-hmm. nothing. Let's just take a little check at it, or it's probably yeah. this. And, you know, once I I do want to get a panel of radiologists actually on the podcast because mm-hmm. I think it would be helpful for our audience to learn why that why those conversations are happening. Not that it's good or bad, yes. but just let us Correct. know why you feel so compelled to tell us that it's probably nothing. And then obviously in the work that we do, it's always something because you're coming to yes. or because you have cancer. You know, right. so I, unfortunately, I, my my perspective is a little skewed because I'm not talking to the women who are saying it was probably nothing and it was nothing. Um, you right. know, we are talking to the women who say it was probably nothing and it ended up being something or spreading, mm-hmm. which is always scary too. But I'm very glad very. to hear that you, we know our own bodies, things do not feel mm-hmm. normal. And I'm glad that you were able to keep pushing the envelope. And mm-hmm. I also want to reiterate too, cause you're not the first woman to, to share just the different levels of support we have on our medical care team. So whether it's your mm-hmm. primary care doctor or the physician's assistant or the radiologist, but then going back to how important it is to have your like OBGYN talk to you mm-hmm. about your, your breast tissue, like all of your female gynecological questions. And mm-hmm. um, I I, I don't really think I have a good relationship with mine. I, I don't know. I think I go like once every couple years. years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I'm having these conversations with women, I'm like, she needs mm-hmm. to be my best friend. She needs to be like, I'm yes, like, yes. and we need to talk all the time because, you know, you're right. Like everyone has their own forte and expertise and mm-hmm. they could be someone who can really advocate for you as in your example. So thank you for sharing yeah. that.
1: Well, I also believe that we – we need to feel more comfortable to change doctors if they're not doing their job or if we're not getting the communication we need. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 really loved that gynecologist at the time. I had gone to her for a few years, but then I switched because the trust level hid was gone. And so I'm a firm believer that we, the more information that even though it's so overwhelming, the information gives us power and we get that information from meeting with at least two professionals if you will who can either confirm what the first person says or maybe we find a better relationship with the second person even if it's just in communication style Mm -hmm. and that when we get the diagnosis we're so afraid and we want it we want to get it out I want it gone I want it out let's do this let's there's the information so overwhelming It's hard to breathe. It's hard to think of going to another doctor. Um, Our medical care system in the States is not set up easily to see doctors, especially when we're working and trying to get time off and we're balancing our families and our children. So it's easier to see that one doctor when sometimes we need that other piece of information that could help help direct us on a completely different path. Yeah, completely. Gosh,
0: yes, scheduling of appointments, childcare, mm-hmm. working time off. I mean, all of these become barriers all to of access. It. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So, what a godsend though. I think you also bring up an interesting point of, you know, meeting this other new teacher in your school district who just mm-hmm. recently finished her experience with chemotherapy and the more that people are doing cold caps or continuing to work while going through treatment. I think you also bring up another great point that we don't always know the baggage that we're carrying underneath it all. Mm -hmm. And while we are managing our own cancer diagnosis, we could Mm -hmm. look completely normal and completely fine. Mm -hmm. And like, we're going through nothing and we're working and smiling and maintaining. But then um, all of a sudden it's like, wait, you're going through chemotherapy right now. Like we just assume you would lose all of your hair. We just assume that you're going to look thin or frail. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to, linger back on the word thin, because I think with the breast cancer treatments, you're given so many medications that it's quite mm-hmm. common for women to gain weight actually while going through chemotherapy yes. and some of the hormonal therapies as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I just want to acknowledge that, you know, the quote unquote, like we look fine, but we're still going through so much is, is challenging because we don't
1: look sick. No, we don't. And we, I had um, a, a parent of mine who had been through breast cancer and she did not do the cold capping. And she talked about that losing her hair was very difficult. But the flip side of it, people knew she was sick. Mm-hmm. And she said, so when I would go out, I would get not unwanted attention, but recognition for what I was going through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's, it's almost a catch-22. It's, I was glad I was able to keep my hair. I did get a bald spot back here. My hair thinned uh, quite a bit. But within about a year, it filled back in and the bald spot like went away. Um, But yet people, I still looked fine. So, you know, on the one side, I thought, oh, it'd be nice if people could see what I'm going through. So I would get, you know, an outward support of people. But on the other side, looking like me in the mirror, not seeing that drastic change helped me mentally just power through. Just get up in the day, go do what I need to do. Um, and just, you know, put it to the side. So it's an interesting thing. That's a really good point. I love that like you
0: want to look like yourself, you want to feel like yourself, and that mm-hmm. you could utilize this as a tool to to muster up that energy. That's a really great point. I was about to ask you yes. like, how do you reconcile, you know, the looking fine and going through so much?
1: Um, yes, I don't know. <laughs> 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 you just do. You just get up and you just you just do. And each day it's, you hope for the best. And um, the, the hardest part I found was trying not to shame myself when I did not do more during the day, or when I laid in bed all day, moved from the bed to the couch, back to the bed, Um, And I didn't take care of insurance stuff. I didn't eat healthy. I didn't exercise. I didn't get moving, like they say, to get moving, to get the chemo out of your system. Um, And we don't realize how these thoughts really take a toll on us, I think, until we can step out of it and get away from it and sit and go, however we need to get through this is how we get through it. Exactly. You know, and social media is fabulous for the support. And, you know, it was hard to see women who are working out in the middle of chemo treatments or radiation. And I'm like, I'm happy I got out of bed, got into my car and got to where I needed to be for the day, you know? <laughs> right. and, and social
0: media too, I think, tends to take that angle of positivity people are only going to publish the positive. So yes. when they're proud of themselves for going to the gym or lifting weights right. or taking a walk, they're going to share that. We're not going to exactly. share the, I feel like crap. I look like shit. And here I am on social exactly. media. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There is an interesting thing um, going back to the cold capping and I'm not sure how widely known this is. It came out about six months to a year after I went through my chemo, I was put on TC, taxateer, and cytoxin. There is now a lawsuit out against the makers of taxateer because the number of women did not get their hair back. Mm. And my oncologist was not aware of that at the time. And he brought that up to me and he said, you know, I'm glad you cold capped. And he said, I have a few patients now who are experiencing their hair, not coming back, having been on that. And It was so interesting to hear his perspective. Being such a caring man, he felt so bad about it. You know, he would feel they even got the dignity cap system in their center, based on what myself and my friend Liz had gone through, and it worked well in one center in Tampa, but it didn't work well in the center in Largo. Mm -hmm. And so it was very interesting to hear his perspective on things. Um, I also find the hair growth is interesting as it comes back because my eyebrows didn't fill in like they used to be. My eyelashes didn't. I was going to ask you,
0: so with the cold caps, a couple of questions that I have um,
1: is, okay,
0: so there are a couple of brands out there that you mentioned about cold caps. So how do you choose a brand? What type of research did you do? And then my second question is, you know, we talk about cold caps that that freeze the hair follicles so that the chemotherapy won't get to them and hopefully preserve as much as your hair
1: as possible. But did
0: you still lose your eyebrows and eyelashes? Yes.
1: Okay. I lost my eyebrows, my eyelashes, any other hair I had on my body was gone and I don't have to shave my legs that much anymore. It hardly grows back. I mean, that part's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yes. And in terms of researching, um, we ended up using the company my friend Liz did, which was a chemo cold caps. Um, the woman named Liz who runs it had gone through cancer herself. Um, I did research the penguin cold caps. Those were the only two I had heard of. Um, I use breastcancer.org, the community discussion board for a lot of things because I did not have um, a group of like chemo sisters, Mm -hmm. if you will, at my cancer center. Most of the patients were elderly and I was one of the youngest people there. Um, Other friends of mine who've been in there, thirties who went to Moffitt cancer treatment in Tampa had chemo sisters. So people they walked through their journey with. So breastcancer.org became my go-to place. Um, there was a group I joined and we were all the chemo warriors starting in January of 2016. We talked about losing hair, cold capping, neuropathy, you name it. The conversation was there. Um, and in doing the research, I realized this particular company that we chose to go with sent us a kit. We had the she sent us the cooler, the caps, the temperature gauge, the gloves, everything we would need. All we had to do was get the dry ice. Mm. Um, and the difference between the penguin cold caps was you had to go get all the other stuff. You had to provide your own cooler. You had to do find the temperature gauge you had to get whatever the moleskin or whatever to protect mm. your forehead from getting frozen um it wasn't simple and the the drawback to the cold caps is that they weren't covered under insurance mm. so many women again there's no access to that now whether that has changed especially with the dignity cap system i'm not sure so we i had aflac that i had gotten back in my 20s and I got it simply because cancer had been in my family. I'm like, I don't want to say it's a matter of time and be a fatalist, but yeah, there's a pretty good chance this is going to hit me at some point. Yeah. Thankfully, I had that influx of just extra money, supplemental cash that could pay for it. But not every woman has that. And I would, my friend Liz and I have talked about how, how what could we do to help other women who are interested in it? For some women, they was just one more Thing they'd have to deal with, and it was easier just to lose their hair, mm-hmm.
0: you know,
1: because the, the enormity of it. it. Doing it on your own, you have to have someone there. We'd have to get to the cancer center by eight eight thirty a.m. We'd have to get the cold cap on an hour to two hours before the first infusion started. It was replaced every thirty minutes, so my husband was constantly checking the temperature, checking the dry ice, and it went on two to three hours after the infusion stopped. So we were at this chemo center the entire day. Um, so the, the picture of, you know, you have chemotherapy and you're snuggled in there and you're just letting the drugs hit you and you're done and you go home and sleep was not my experience because every 30 minutes I was icing my head and snuggled under a heating blanket. And it was just, for me, the experience, it was very hard. Now, my friend who did the cap system said it was great. The, the the it just did it. Nobody had to do it for her. The caps doesn't ha- didn't have to be replaced, and she was in and out. It was it was like a how you would view a chemo session to go, except you have a cold cap on your head. Sure, and I'm hearing machine.
0: more more and more cancer centers too now actually having infusion chairs specifically with the yes. um, technology for the dignity caps or other types of cold capping specifically. Yes, because they are becoming more popular. People are looking for that Good. as an option. So. I do mm-hmm. hear that. I do think you bring up a great point, too, about the financial um, mm-hmm. side of this. And, you know, that's something I can investigate and look into also because I don't think mm-hmm. um, just from talking to other women that it's not covered by insurance. And so, you know, what type of fundraising or opportunities can nonprofits right. like survivingbreastcancer.org or breastcancer.org do to help right. provide this as as an option for people?
1: There, There is an organization in Minnesota... I would have to research it when we're done talking and email you the information. And it, it was something to help women offset these costs. Mm-hmm. But again, that was a number of years ago and I'm not sure Yeah, where that is, but I would love to look into that again. Yeah. The other option that I saw for
0: women, um, they still lost their hair, but what they ended up doing when they got their hair trimmed and shortened, um, creating those like halos it's almost like a little it's not quite a full wig but it's kind of like a oh like a like a halo with your long hair or whatever yes. type of hair that you had that you could wear like underneath your hat or a scarf or something like that and women felt like even though they lost their hair it was still their mm-hmm. hair that they were putting back on when they were going out to shop or go to the grocery store yes. or go do something with a girlfriend mm-hmm. and yes. i think there's some probably you know some studies where we can investigate and figure out like the level of confidence and security and well-being Mm. people feel when they can look and feel like themselves, not going through. Absolutely. And I admire everything that you've gone through. I fell into the camp of, I can't deal with one more thing. Exactly. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Cancer was hard enough and, and the side effects. So can you tell me about some of the side effects that you had and then how you, um, and were there any side effects outside of like a really cold head that people should be aware of
1: with <laughs> cold capping? Not with a cold capping. Okay. No, it was just, I, I experienced nausea from it, but I think um, that was the first, um, the first infusion. And it was because we had to leave the cancer center early because they were closing early being on new year's day. Mm-hmm. So the whole day was just, just not a good day. Um, after that, we kind of fell into a rhythm and, it was only four chemo treatments. So my side effects were more chemo related than the cold capping related okay. um, as, as time went on. Now I had a friend who did the cold capping for, I think eight treatments. She came and saw what I was doing and she said, Oh, I'm going to do that too. And it was her second bout with breast cancer. And she, once again, she did the same thing we did. and Sure enough, her hair, she did, she saved more of her hair than I did. So her body handled it better than mine did. So it's, it's, that's what I find fascinating is how each person's bodies react differently.
0: Right. Did you Mm -hmm. have to take any precautions in terms of like how you brushed your hair or shampooed or anything like that? Yes.
1: Yes. So I was not allowed to wash my hair for almost a week. I had to sleep on a, um, like a silky pillow, like a silky pillowcase um i I don't think I hardly ever brushed my hair. I might run one comb through it once um when I'd wash my hair, I had to change shampoos to um, something more gentle. I used the beauty counter oh, shampoos yes. mm-hmm. they were, yeah um and that, that was mainly it. They said, don't wear a cap. Don't pull it in a ponytail. Don't put any stress on your hair. Uh, just leave it alone. And it, the best thing is that they warned us that your hair will shed. And it, I think it was after the second session, they said, be prepared. It's going to come out. It just, it's going to happen. And so it's funny that I still even have a little PTSD after that. Um, our condo here has white tile floor and my hair's all over the floor and I'm like, Oh, yeah. And I still, it still affects me today seeing my hair on the floor because, or if I'm in the shower and a clump comes out, I'm like, Oh, what's happening. Right. Uh, So did you, so after, um, after the cold capping chemo and radiation and losing my eyebrows and eyelashes, they came back. But then a couple months later, I lost them again. Hmm. And then then they had to grow back in. So it was like the cyclical thing where the medication was still clearly in my system months after I had finished it.
0: Yes. And that happened to me as well. I was getting, um, Mm -hmm. I lost all of my hair. But when the peach fuzz started coming back, I was so excited. And then people were warning me too, like, well, don't be too excited because your Mm -hmm. eyebrows still look good. Those are going to go in a little bit. And so it was just this continuation of the treatments Working, which is how I was reframing right. it, as opposed to just yes. dwelling on the loss. Um, yes, but I think that's when I felt when I probably looked the most sick was when I lost my eyebrows and eyelashes because yes, you know those like I got so mad I was like even babies are born with these like babies can be bald right. but they they show up with their right. eyelashes <laughs> yes and you know I yes don't take for granted. Like my eyes were constantly like dry. I got so much dust and dirt just because you, Mm -hmm. you don't realize the importance of your eyelashes. And then I constantly had a runny nose because you lose those tiny hairs Mm -hmm. in your nose also. So there's small little things where you're like, you know, I was, I was posting on social media. I was like, guys, did you know that this like is really important? (laughs) Right. So,
1: right. You know, the other thing, um, thinking about it when you're talking about your hair and these different things that happen. Um, it's the effect on our bones in our teeth, our hearing it, all of these things they don't tell you our vaginal health. They don't tell you anything about this. Um, I, I had to learn about it from just talking to other people who had gone through it. And um, that's why we have, we, ha- we just have to share this information. the women who are starting on this journey because it's so it is so overwhelming and we we have this term in our family called whack-a-mole you you fix one thing and something else pops up and that's cancer you fix one thing and then you got to whack something else down and then you got to whack something else down and before you know it you're just yeah
0: it's really tough I mean, you're five years out. Congratulations. That is just a huge milestone in general. And that's the perfect analogy. Like whack-a-mole, that is exactly what life after cancer feels like. It's it's a gift that keeps on giving and something we have to continuously manage. I think the more we talk about that, the more we understand the long-term side effects and implications of a breast cancer diagnosis will help empower all of us to take control of our health and our well-being, and really being able to be an active player in managing side effects and long-term wellness. So thank you so much for going into this detail to share to share your experience with the cold caps, the resources that our listeners can can look up. I'll link to a lot of this information below in the show notes as well. and we'll just keep the conversation going. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, Surviving Breast Cancer Org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. Until next time, keep on thriving.